0: Hi, everybody. This is Richard Hatch, Tom Zarek on the new Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum, and it's a fracking podcast previously on the Galactica Quorum.
1: They set him up in the beginning as a freedom fighter of sorts who stuck to his beliefs and he was put in jail for it. For him to be just someone on the take. Naked power. Naked power. I feel like it's a little bit of a shortcut for them to introduce this guy who's the bad guy. The stuff that he's done in the past, it supports it. For me, it just it feels a little bit that they're amping it a little bit. There's a line that Zarek has that made me wonder. It could go either way, and I, it's interesting. I'd like to actually get an answer on this one someday from someone. Hopefully, we'll get one.
0: Never played this character as a bad guy. I don't believe he's a bad guy. Frack you! You dare challenge me!
1: Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast, a podcast about Battlestar Galactica. This is episode number 66. I'm Brian, and for this episode, I'll be interviewing Richard Hatch, who played Zarek on the new Battlestar Galactica and, of course, Apollo on the original Battlestar. Before we get to that interview, here's some contact information. Our website is GalacticaQuorum.com. Our email is GQuorum at gmail.com. And our voicemail is 301-358-5175. You can also follow our updates on Twitter, where our account name is GalacticaQuorum. This episode will be sandwiched between two Battlestar episodes. The next one coming out will be our podcast discussing the episode No Exit. And that will come out later this week. I'll also be preparing the Michael Hogan interview that I did with him in Los Angeles last month at the prop auction. And I also want to point out some of our other interviews that we've done. There are several. There's the Edward James Almost interview. That was episode 55. We talked to Tom O'Pennicott in episode 53. Prior to that, we also talked to Mark Shepard, Nikki Klein, James Callis, and Aaron Douglas. For this episode, I was talking with Richard Hatch, and I think you'll find it very interesting. There's an angle to the Zarek character in particular, I think you'll find very enlightening, and you might have a different perspective after you hear him talk about how he perceived and played the character. So, without any further delay, let's play this interview. All right, so we're talking with Richard Hatch, the original Apollo, and now the dearly departed Tom Zarek. <laughs>
0: blown out the the boob tube yeah it's, <laughs> it's funny
1: because last year we interviewed nikki klein right after her character had died Coward. oh right right and i f- always feel bad because we're talking to these actors right after they've uh, they're there, and they're probably hearing from lots of their fans giving them condolences yeah. although uh, as we pointed out with her too the scene you filmed was actually quite a long time ago but now it's just that now the people are are well, that's seeing true.
0: It. it was filmed last sometime may june but uh, no character wants to say goodbye to a show they love, so it's always very challenging. And, and it's also, you know, depending on how your character goes and how the character arc is created, every actor cares about the characters, and sometimes you care more about a character because you you relate more to that character, so... I have a very uh, enigmatic character that is many times misunderstood, and sometimes on the show people make assumptions about my character. But it's—I've uh, said before—I have never played this character as a bad guy. I don't believe he's a bad guy. In fact, you know, the only backstory I know out there is from Dynamite Comics, the graphic novel that they had on Zarek, and which was agreed to by Ron Moore. But for me, everything that was told me and everything that I played and everything that actually in all the scenes. I mean, it always is interesting to me how people interpret a character or what they think a character is all about or what sides they take. And it's always an interesting uh, perception because I can relate to Battlestar as a fan watching it. And you naturally have loyalties and you care about certain characters and, and you perceive certain things. But, you know, as playing a character, you actually see the situation through different eyes. And it's interesting for me to actually be able to look at it from two different points of view. And it I don't know, it's been a very interesting experience for me being on the show and playing uh, Tom Zarek and at the same time, like I said, being a fan of the show. So watching it from that angle as well.
1: It's interesting you say that Universalman is a bad guy because I wasn't really a Baltar fan for a long time. I always thought he was sort of a weaselly guy. And then I got to talk with James Callis, and I got to see what he really thought behind the character and what he thought, what Baltar was doing. And, you know, it's true that any good villain is supposed to believe in their own mind that they are doing the right thing. But I was just wondering about your impressions of the evolution of Zerk's character. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was he like first presented to you as sort of a freedom fighter, sort of like a Nelson Mandela type? That was yeah, he was down- a
0: Nelson Mandela style, a political revolutionary. I've always played him exactly as that, and to tell you the truth, the only difference is is that I, my character, had to wield and deal because he was blocked, and I hate to say it, illegally unconstitutionally from doing anything or having any voice. It's funny, people always say, Zarek is power hungry. And I thought, power hungry? I've never met a man who put his life on the line for human rights, suffered 25 years in prison, watched everybody die, all his best friends die. And he gets on to, you know, obviously on the prison barge, gets off and runs for political office. And at every turn, he's being blocked. And The uh, powers that be, Adama and Rosalind, are constantly keeping him quartered. The interesting thing was is that his only recourse, since they had the military to back them up, And again, this is what the show is about. It deals with post-9-11 type scenarios where government has a lot more control than normal, where democracy, you know, that very fragile institution that we have to basically fight for or it can be lost easily. And I think on Galactica, we've seen it. Democracy has been lost. And yet we've condoned it because on some level we believe in the characters and we feel that the leaders, Adam and, and Rosalind, are the ones that will lead us to uh, lead us home. And therefore, it's funny, most of us or most people, even as a fan, we're willing to suspend democracy, but as a character, fighting for accountability and looking at it from the other point of view, the key is whether you like Zarek or not or agree with him, the point of it is he has every right, if you really are honest in your assessment, to challenge the government because no government should be left unaccountable. No government should be able to make decisions without consensus of the people, and if if they do, then everybody deserves whatever the outcome is going to be. But I think Zarek was fighting for accountability and fighting not to become – I don't even think Zarek becoming president or becoming – having power. He realized that people in positions of power so often, as he's seen before, either are swayed to the dark side or they misuse the power that they're given, even if their intentions are positive – Or they are so many demands and pressures put upon them and so many self-interest groups are trying to manipulate them that I think he realized that actually it's better to be, you know, in second or third position, you know, you can actually accomplish a lot more. And I think his big issue was actually having a voice in the government, making the government accountable and just ensuring that there was some kind of respect for the people and that they would have an opportunity since their lives were at stake to have a say in what happens to their lives. And I think that he fought for that, and yet he had to play it dirty sometimes because he was not given access. He was blocked at every turn by them. So he had to use whatever people he could get, whatever forces he could get, and he probably had to turn to some of the more you know, bad characters to get help because he could get help in no other quarter because obviously Adam and Rosalind controlled the military and controlled the power. So in a sense, he had to play a chess game and he had to find a way to manipulate to get any kind of leverage to do anything that he wanted to do. But I think most people, whenever they see someone hanging out with malicious characters or in any way that seems suspect, they're going to immediately think, oh, that's the bad guy. But it's interesting for me, if you look at all his motivations, look at all the things that he said, some of the feedback that he gave, the actions he took, regardless of whether you agree or disagree – they were never self-serving. The guy, he wasn't living in a beautiful quarters. He didn't have uh, riches and money and power. Uh, Zarek never had any of those things. And I hate to say it, even in the scene between me and Adama, they cut out a couple of lines where uh, Zarek doesn't agree with Adama's assessment on there that all these things he's telling me that I did are true. But, of course, they, they can edit it any way that they want. I think the interesting thing is, like I said, as a character, you know, you sit there and and the trouble is, is that we're very forgiving as fans watching a show because, you know, we have the people that we believe in and we want them to be right. We want them to do the right thing. But this really is a show where even so-called good people do bad things, sometimes with good intentions. And the funny part of it is is that, you know, Adam and Rosalind take power into their own hands. You know, they put Zarek in prison illegally because he doesn't agree with them about the Cylons. Well, half the fleet, two-thirds of the fleet, doesn't agree with them either. And yet, it's either their way or the highway. But at the same time, what is the character supposed to do? I mean, even a good guy like Gaeta, straightforward, honest, down-to-earth, realizes that this is a life-and-death decision, going with the Cylons who have killed billions of people who are not trustworthy, who have programming that is suspect. Nobody knows what their programming is. And you're dealing with a situation where you could end up being either killed, the entire fleet imprisoned. God knows what would happen, especially since the Cylons seem to have so much more sophisticated technology. So in a sense, the funny part is, is that war is ugly and If you're in a life and death circumstance where a lot of people disagree with the government and yet the government doesn't give voice to them and doesn't honor the council, which is representatives of the people, then you do one or two things. Either do what you're told to do and go along with something without any voice or you say, I don't agree and guess what, I'm going to have to find a way to stop you. And in that case, it's life or death. A coup means that you have to take out anybody who's an adversary or the coup fails. So unlike any other situation, it's not a democratic situation. A coup is a takeover. And once you make that decision, and in this case, they made it out of humanitarian reasons. They wanted to save people. They, wanted, they didn't want the silence to have any power, any control, any option or opportunity and the only way to ensure the, the safety of the fleet, they felt, was not to put power in the uh, the Silen's hands or give them any access. And I think that they were operating for humanitarian reasons, not because they were power-hungry which is always the guy that's challenging government must be the bad guy. In this case, they were challenging for good reasons. And again, Adama and Rosalind were doing what they did because they felt that was the right thing to do, and they felt that was their best option for surviving and saving the fleet. But guess what? Dictators are when you have one person making decisions. Even if that dictator's right, the point is a democracy is a much more challenging institution that requires consensus of the people. And it's been proven that even in emergency situations that people can come together and make decisions, that the bureaucracy of democracy doesn't always have to get in the way of making decisions. But you know, I I think that this is a show that shows both sides. But obviously as a fan we look at it and we root for Adama Rosalind and obviously the fleet. We want the fleet to survive and the way it looks is that obviously Zarek and Gaeta are so-called bad people. But, you know, whether you agree or don't agree or like these characters or don't like Zarek, the fact is you can't call them self-serving and doing it for the sake of power. There is nothing in any of these shows that set that up.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned that, I guess, turning point for Zarek was that he was denied the presidency. I was going to ask you something along those lines, because for me, he had a a bit of growth as a character. In fact, there was a scene on New Caprica with you and Rosalind where Zarek uh, had that little dialogue right before they presumed they were going to be shot. Right, and I felt he had come a really long way. And in fact, immediately after New Caprica, Zarek was the president briefly and voluntarily gave up well, the office. Well,
0: guess what? Tell, tell me what? In a constitutional system, how in the world would Rosalind be able to make a deal and say, as long as you give me the presidency, I'll give you the vice presidency? Well, guess what? That's not democracy. Okay? That's somebody saying, I have the power. You either give me this or you get nothing. And not only that, she rigged the election that stopped Zarek the first time, illegally. Zarek never did that. Zarek didn't rig an election. Do you
1: feel that then, it wasn't written this way or shown on the screen, but do you feel then that Zarek, when he was offered that deal on the screen, he took it almost gladly, but so you're saying that maybe as a sort of a character backstory that that made him seethe or something?
0: No, I'll tell you something. He didn't take it gladly. He took it because it was the only option he could get. Zarek is not dumb. The reason he worked with James Callis was he realized he could never be president because the Domin Rosalind would block him again illegally. And you know something? I don't know about you, but somebody who fought for human rights spent 25 years in prison who was willing to stand up and face that kind of trial and tribulation for standing up to fight against the suppressive government, is, to me, a character that I can believe in. And I don't care if he blew up buildings. The truth of it is, if you were in Nazi Germany and you were being suppressed, and he was on a very suppressive government that basically turned human beings into slaves and essentially, you know, murdered and killed and raped and pillaged So guess what? The very people that judged me as being a terrorist ended up being human bombs down in New Caprica because the Cylons had imprisoned them. Well, what was the difference about me on my planet? And what I had to fight for. You know, it's funny how I love this show because, again, it illuminates how he who judges, he who casts the first stone should look at their own life and see who sinned first. And the truth is, we're all imperfect. We've all made mistakes. But I think we all were well-intentioned. And Eric was just as well-intentioned as Rosalind and Adama have ever been. And he fought just as hard for what he believed was right. And believe me, I think if you really look at the larger view and don't look at it from a biased character point of view or actor point of view, preferring one character to another, you would realize that honestly, this is a pretty dangerous call going with the silence, not going with the silence. I don't care what anybody says. With everything that they've done, my God. I would never give somebody that had done the kind of absolute devastation to the human race that the Sirens did. I would never give them control or access to my ship. I would always, and I'm just telling you now, if, if we were in the here and now, the only way I would do it, yes, would I use their technology? Yes. Would I find a way to say, look, we need your technology, we want to survive, but we've got to hold weapons on you, we've got to keep you in quarantine, we have to keep you under control, we can't let you run freely on this ship. I would always have found some kind of way to make it work, but they didn't explore those options. But had they dialogued them in the Council of the Twelve, I'm sure these options would have come up. But in this case, we didn't hear all sides of the story. But as Tom Zarek, and again, I'm having to create some of my own backstory to justify what I'm doing... But I think that they had every right and were just as right as Rosalind and Adama were from their point of view to take the actions they took because they were left no recourse. Adama and Rosalind would listen to anybody. Everybody had to do it their way. So, therefore, if you didn't agree, guess what? What do you do? And in this case, since it was life or death, and it is a life and death decision, and we don't even know how it's going to play out. But I think they had every right to challenge that government and to put them away and to do what they had to do. But to really do a coup, I think Zarek knew he had no other person that would allow him to even have a chance of succeeding. But he also recognized that Gaeta, it takes somebody who's been to the dark side and come back. And that means somebody who's suffered, gone to hell and come back who was able to, I think, to do the kind of actions that you have to do if you want to succeed at a coup. Again, nobody wants to see human life die, but I think Kane, it's an interesting kind of parallel. Kane to me, was a character that you could almost hate, and yet I ended up with a tremendous respect for her because I realized that she was actually an empathetic, caring person who actually put her humanity aside in order to make decisions that, yes, people might die, but it was in order to save people. Well, this isn't always the case, but there are life and death circumstances in war where you have to make those decisions. And I thought Cain blew me away with the fact that she could actually make those kinds of decisions and do the things that she did, which were so harsh and very hard to see, very hard to deal with, and very hard to empathize or even care about that Cain character. And yet she was doing things that had to be done. And I think Zarek and Gaeta were attempting to do the same thing for their own, what they felt were the best reasons to save the fleet. Again, like them, hate them, agree, disagree, hate to see people die. But, you know, in war and life and death circumstances, some people have to die. And listen, we paid the price for following through with what we believe, but I think that at the end of the day, you do have to, if you look at it honestly, have to say they weren't doing it to have power, to be self-serving. They were doing it for what they believed would save the fleet as a whole. But the funny part of it is, is that I've seen many comments posted that Zarek was out for power, and I I kept thinking, boy, that's such a cliché. Why is he out for power? I don't know. Anybody I've ever seen that's gone through the hell he's gone through, anybody that I've seen who basically fought for human rights like he did, not too many people would be willing to challenge a suppressive government because they would be afraid of being killed. Not too many people are willing to stand up and oppose, you know, authoritarian rule. And he did that. And he did the same thing. He didn't follow Baltar on New Caprica. And he was in solitary confinement. He was willing to die again for what he believed. And it certainly wasn't self-serving. So this isn't a self-serving character whether you like him or not. This is a character who's an idealist, who obviously doesn't trust government or power and has every right not to trust them and who fought for what he believed was right. And you know something? Honestly, I think they could be just as right as Adama and Rosalind. And yet, you know, the funny part is Baltar who killed are responsible for killing of millions and millions of people was forgiven in court and basically given a pardon. So it's interesting how it all comes down. This is a show that really does push your buttons, both as the fan and as the actor who plays these characters, because we do get involved in our characters. And I thank this show because it not only has made me look at the larger picture, but it's forced me from the usual position of just watching it as a fan, loving these characters and rooting for them, And made me look at it maybe from the opposing side very much the way Ron Moore has made us kind of, in some cases, look at ourselves through the silence that we were judging as the bad guy and then realizing that silence judge us as the bad guy and who is the bad guy, depending on what position you're in what perspective you're coming from, we always think the other guy is responsible for all the bad stuff. You know, it's interesting how it all works. But I think this is a show that forces us to step out and look at it from the larger picture. And it's playing Zarek has certainly made me expand my uh, my points of view and kind of get more involved in seeing some of the injustices that good people perpetrate in their attempt to do a good thing. And yet they are doing bad things. You know, it's, it's interesting how it all works.
1: I wonder if you could clarify one thing for me, because you mentioned that Sarek wasn't really seeking power. There was the scene with Adama in the jail cell where he tosses the file. Yeah. Uh, at your feet, and he, he says that there's juicy stuff in the file, and it's going to hurt Zarek's reputation. And yeah. I wasn't clear on the, what the meaning of the scene was. I knew Adama was bluffing, but I didn't know if that meant that there really was some dirty shenanigans that Zarek was participating in. Because to me, that made him somewhat of a just a common dirty politician. I mean, was it? Well, that- I
0: know. I know. And that, what bothered me is that there was a line that was cut out where I basically say that he's overshooting the mark meaning these overstating he's overshooting the case yeah zarek has been involved in certain dealings why why self-serving no as i mentioned before people keep forgetting that because of adama because of rosalind because of them blocking him at every turn In order to have any kind of voice, he had to align himself. I hate to say it. He had no other people to go to. And here's a guy that had to wheel and deal and play the game in order to have any power, any leverage at all. But like I said, sometimes we do bad things to do good things. The same thing with with Rosalind Adama. They broke the law, constitutional. did this, did that, thinking that they're doing a good thing. Well, guess what? Zarek had to do the same thing because he was on the outside. He wasn't in power. He was out of power, and he had to find ways to get some kind of leverage, some kind of control, some kind of protection. And, yeah, did he do things? Yes, he did. But he was having to make his way, you know, as somebody very much like a Baltar where he already had this stigma attached to him where none of the so-called above-board people would work with him. He had no other recourse but to go to the people who were willing to work with him. And is some of that true? Yes. But guess what? It's called survival. He did anything and everything to survive and build a power base so that he could have some kind of leverage to have a voice and make that government accountable. But you never saw Zarek as a rich man who had all these women who basically was all he cared about was power and, you know, and money and stuff. I mean, where did you see any of that? You never saw any of that. Because he didn't have any of that. All he ever had was some henchmen that were protectors for him. And I don't know about you, but if you have a stigma attached to you, you probably need protectors. Who are you going to go to? I mean, who is going to work with you if you've been put down by the government? Or you've been told that you're distrusted by the government? And even when I was given the vice presidency, if you notice all the shows and everything that happened... Zarek was basically put in a position of being benign because, you know, a lot of times people take their worst adversary or whatever they think their adversary is and they bring them closer to them so that they can watch them and keep them under control in a sense. She didn't really give Zarek much power or authority or anything other than a little bit of feedback. She had her own agendas being in power and she certainly didn't seem to have a lot of respect for any other voices other than her own. And again, I love the Rosalind character, and I love the actress playing her, who's brilliant. But at the same time, looking at it from a political side, I can see why Zarek felt totally frustrated, angry, pushed aside, and I hate to say it, maligned, unjustly maligned. And so here's a character that really has very little recourse, and finally when they get, you know, it's a cumulative thing, But after all this time of trying to play the game legally and realizing he's blocked, he now had to play the game in any kind of way he could in order to assert any kind of voice. It's funny. We're all quick to judge the minute we see who people are hanging out with or what they seem to be doing. But again, it's not what you do. It's why you do it. And it's just funny because, again, the Ra's Dama, they broke rules, they broke regulations, they broke the Constitution in order to do what they felt was right. And I think, uh, again, Zarek did the same thing. But, again, it's very easy watching it from the outside to just essentially look at Zarek and think, oh, he's up to no good. But I think if you really analyze and look at the things he did or what he didn't do, and look at the results of it, you would have to say, wait, there's something else here. It's not just that easy. It's not that cliche. He's not just the token bad guy trying to to steal. There's something else going on there, and I think that's what made him so interesting, and it's why I love playing him. And my only sadness is that there wasn't enough context or backstory on Zarek, to really give a little more understanding to his motivations and where he was coming from. It's always easy to maybe misunderstand the character and maybe project onto him that he is the bad guy because he's kind of in that gray place, in-between place, where he could be good, he could be bad, but it's always easier to believe a character is bad when it seems that they are so.
1: Yeah. Do you regret then not having that sort of redeeming moment that Gaeta even had at the very end when
0: Yeah, I do. I mean I I mean, listen, there's so little time in the show. There's only so much time. Not every character is gonna get their full just due and obviously Gaeta was a character there from the start and one of the main characters on the show. And again, as I said, I felt fortunate to be on the show, and I felt fortunate that they left my character on the show. But as an actor, you're always frustrated, because when you have a great character to play, and then you don't get enough, you just never get any backstory, you never get any context in which to understand that character. All you see is him coming in and out, doing certain things that seemingly are suspect, and yet you never know why. And our tendency is always to believe the worst in somebody as opposed to the good in somebody. I always played him as a good character, having to play the chess game in order to wheel and deal, to survive, in order to have leverage, in order to assert his agenda, which was, again, to make the government accountable and have a voice in the government and to fight for what he felt was the people's rights. That's what he fought for his whole life. But again, I don't think there was enough scenes or moments or anything. And even the moments that might have been there that, you know, things get cut out because they overshoot. And, and again, there's only so many minutes and they have to prioritize what they're going to focus on. So as an actor, it's frustrating to play a wonderful character where you don't get enough of those scenes to play at the same time, I'm appreciative as an actor to have had any scenes on this show with so many wonderful actors and so many storylines to even have a role to play. I'm very appreciative of that. So again, as a fan, I can totally identify with Rosalind and Adama and and the whole gang and Apollo and Starbuck and root for them and think that, you know, Gaeta and Zarek are fighting them. So therefore, we've got to take them out and screw them and all of that stuff, but One of the nice things that I did like was that Gaeta even said it. He says, you know, if you take away the the arrogance, Zarek's right. I thought that was one line where they gave some kind of validation to Zarek's position. Uh, There's just so, uh, Battlestar is so rich and so complex and so much going on that it's hard to see everything, especially on first viewing, but... You know, it was very hard for me to watch those episodes. It was some of the most challenging stuff for me to do. As much as I could validate and justify why Zarek would do it, I would have liked more in the scenes to show the anguish he went through because some of the only friends he had was on the Quorum of the Twelve. Hmm. He had made friends there, and they supported him. So this is not a cold-blooded killer. This is somebody who, yes, has been to hell and back, And like Cain is willing to make those decisions when he feels that it's necessary. He's willing to make that hard choice. But at the same time, I don't think going and just killing, realizing he's going to kill, you know, his friends who have supported him was not easy and had to be tremendous anguish for him but it's very hard to convey that in a few moments sometimes
1: in the oath zarek picks up a wrench and kills the deck chief in every episode we've seen he sanctioned violence or he directed it but this is the first time we'd actually seen him do it so as an actor is that more difficult to approach than a scene where zarek does tell the marines to shoot the quorum they're both coming from a really dark place
0: let me tell you something first of all if I had to play Kane's role, that would have been really, really hard stuff for me. I even thought, God, forget, we're not talking about acting here. If you were in that real-life situation as a commander, having to make these complex, uh, morally conflicting choices, life and death decisions, would you have the balls to make them? And, you know, when it comes to a coup, even though I justify the coup, doing a coup, I mean, we could see the Gator side and the Zarek side. Zarek, having watched people die watching his own family die, having gone to prison, having gone to all those places, having to probably kill and do horrible things in order to survive and in order to challenge the government. He had to do things that no human being should have to do. And when you get into a situation where you're now fighting for what you believe is right and people are standing in front of you that are going to stop you, it's now war. You know, It's no different than the Civil War when you had two people believing two different things and brothers killing brothers, sisters killing sisters. A coup is where you've got to take out even your best friend if they're against you because any adversary is going to bring you down. And unfortunately, a coup is a very extreme measure that you take only in the very last instance. And I think sometimes because of the way things have evolved, there hasn't been as much time on the show to maybe lay context for how, this would build to such a moment to justify going to that extreme measure of a coup we're having to really accomplish a lot of cover a lot of ground in a very short amount of time but at the same time as an actor extremely hard to play because we do care about our characters and i would have hoped that they could have found another way i would have liked to have seen that character even if he died, that we could have seen, first of all, a little backstory, a little context, a little understanding for where he was coming from, and maybe show that he had come a long ways as a character from what he had gone through and learning that maybe there are more constructive ways to settle or solve problems and maybe making a different choice, finding a different something, just so that we could see that the humanity was in this man, you know, I would have loved to have seen that, but uh character is written the way it's written, and we play it as honestly as we can, but this was some of the hardest scenes I ever did, And it was also painful to watch. You know, as much as I can validate and justify Zarek's actions, Gator's actions, watching it, seeing the people die and watching that whole chaos aboard the fleet. I'm like everybody else. I want to see the fleet survive. I want to see everybody come together as a family. I want to see people rise to the occasion. I want to see something really, really heroic and positive and inspiring happening. And watching that was very painful. But at the same time, I can understand and justify why Zarek and Gaeta were forced to do what they did, and that there are two very valid points of view here. It's not just good guy versus bad guy, and that they're self-serving, and the Adama Rosalind characters, and Starbuck and all of them are right, and we're wrong. It's just, you know, unfortunately, shows will tilt one way or the other, and these are the characters that we've identified with and we care the most about, and it will naturally fall that way. But there is another side to it, I think at least with Gaeta, there was some context there that allowed you to have some empathy for him. And even the way he played it, I mean, he's the guy fighting against seeing the death and seeing the killing. We get a chance to see him really anguish over that because that's not his nature. Zurich on the other hand, you know, realizes it's the only way if you're going to succeed, if you're going to do it. And remember, he said this to Gaeta. Gaeta's is the one who came to him. And he said, if you're going to do this, if we're going to do this. People are going to die, and it's going to get worse than you could ever imagine. He made it very clear what was going to happen. But, you know, saying it and the reality of it is two different things. And, you know, I told somebody, I said, wouldn't it be interesting? Imagine it this way. It would be interesting if the show went that way. Imagine, here you are rooting for Adama and Rosalind and and Paul and all of them, which is very easy to do. And then what happens if all of a sudden you realize that Zarek and Gator are Right. Wouldn't it be interesting if all of a sudden you realize that, yeah, they get blown out the airlock. Yeah, we go with the Cylons, and yeah, it's not the best solution, but we choose it. And then you realize that was the wrong decision. You know, what would you think then if you found that out? Then all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, we judge them so harshly. We're unfair to them. And then all of a sudden we realize. But then what you really come to in the conclusion is, you know, Again, it's not about good guy, bad guy. The fact is that there can be two valid positions, and sometimes it's not about right or wrong. It's about choices you make. It's just interesting how it all plays out, and it's interesting that we have a show like this that actually shows you some multiple points of view, although it'd be interesting to know, and I don't know how Ron Moore feels about it. How this plays into 9-11, how easy democracy can be lost, and how easily good people can do bad things for what they believe are good reasons. I think all of this is woven into this story. Our job as actors is to look through the eyes of that character and to find reasons to justify and uh, believe in what you're doing. And I was able to do that with Derek, but again, it was tremendously painful and hard to watch.
1: Zarek was sort of a dark horse pick as the fifth Cylon for a little while. How would that have suited you if you were a Cylon?
0: Well, I think it actually, um, I don't look at the fifth Cylon. My own imagination would say maybe there's a hell of a lot more Cylons than there are humans. Maybe there's more than five. Who knows? I mean, look at Katie looking at her charred body in the ship. However you look at it, it seems to me that there's a lot more than meets the eye. And I certainly, uh, very much like Kate Vernon. She was praying she would be a silence so she could come back to the show. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody that goes out an airlock doesn't wish that they're a Cylons so they can come back, but I think it could have been very plausible that uh, my character was a silence, but then you could find any number of characters and make them silence, but that would have been an interesting... I think those actors have got a chance to kind of deal with that like Grace Parks and deal with the conflict between their human nature and the Cylon programming. It's a metaphor for life. I mean, listen, we are all programmed by the way we're raised, our DNA, the environments in which we live. We have programming and then some of it, or much of it, a lot of it sometimes is limiting and negative and then our human spirit has to find a way to work through the programming to let our own true self out. The show works on a number of levels. So there's a little bit of silent in all of us. And some of us, there's a lot of silent. <laughs> sometimes it's kind of hard to know which is better, the silent aspect or the human aspect. In this case, we sometimes realize that Maybe uh, humanity's lost a little of its humanity, and maybe Cylons are, in this case, have gained some humanity. It's kind of an interesting paradox, the way that they've pitted these two aspects together. But like I said, it works on a number of levels, and it's certainly rich topography for discussion over a good uh, you know, ale.
1: So what was the last scene that you filmed, and did it hit you on any kind of emotional level, knowing that Battlestar was over for the second time?
0: Yeah, it was. I, I have to tell you, in all my history, I, I've never been killed in this way, and I don't think... (laughs) I don't believe any other character was basically... Was any other character on this show killed like this?
1: Uh, They were airlocked, but I don't think anyone was shot unless there was...
0: Yeah, for whatever reason, it was uh, sitting there. You know, listen, people don't realize that acting is not just faking it and trying to pretend. Actors really work to step into their characters and they connect on an emotional level to their characters. And, and after playing a character long enough, you know, you have an attachment to that character and you have feelings for that character. And, you know, what happens to that character will affect you, the actor, on a on a deep level. We watch it as fans and it pushes our own buttons, you know, Sometimes it upsets us, sometimes it thrills us, sometimes it moves us, sometimes it makes us laugh. But as an actor, you're inside it, and it can affect you on very profound levels, and I think what your characters do and what they don't do will bring up a lot of your own personal issues as a person for the actor playing that character. So sitting there in an airlock, getting ready to be blown away, I experienced a full range of emotions. Uh, not only as the actor leaving Battlestar, but as the character feeling like you constantly fought for something. And at every turn, you were not given the benefit of the doubt or given any sense of justice. But that's, again, coming from me, Richard Hatch, playing the character. But it was very hard for Richard and the character to deal with that scene. And, uh, yeah, it was a very emotional moment for me. And also, i got to tell you, sitting there with Adama, usually the commander is not sitting there when you go down. Usually he might be in the background watching, but he was right on the firing line with the troops, you know. (laughs) It was like, frack you. You dare, you know, challenge me, frack you. You know, I mean, uh, nobody can do that better than uh, Edward almost <laughs> He gets that look on his face and just absolutely annihilates you. You know, you feel like you really, really, really screwed up. But as the character, I mean, I was angry sitting there, but I realized that, you know, I'm ready to go. I mean, I don't know if it came through, but I felt like I believed in what I did. I believed in the, what the character did, as horrible as it was, I believed that that was really the only recourse and given that character. I felt that he, he his intentions were in the right place, and obviously I wished that the writing may have, maybe had gone in a different direction and allowed him to find maybe an alternate choice, a more humanistic choice. But this show has the guts to go in really edgy, really provocative, uh, hard places, so... That's part of being on this show. So. But I, uh, I had a full range of emotions sitting there getting ready to, to be blown away. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny
1: because what if you would have been able to time travel back to whatever science fiction convention that was where you were first hearing about the new Reimagined series? And at the time, you were skeptical and you had some reservations about it. And if you could go back in time to that Richard Hatch and say, all right, here's the good news. You're going to go on the show and you're going to have a great character— But the bad news is you're going to end up in front of a firing line. Uh, Would previous you have said, frack off, I don't want anything to do with it? Or what do you think would have happened?
0: Well, I was always suspect of any classic being brought back because just about every classic ever brought back was screwed up. This is the only classic that I know that was brought back and done right, that somebody, I mean, obviously, there's many points of view, and Battlestar can be done many different ways. It could have been done the way that I did it in the Battlestar books that I wrote. It could be done the way Tom DeSanto was projecting to do it, all very wonderful ways to bring it back, even Glenn Larson and his version, although he was going to deal with the Pegasus. And Kane, which I still think would be a very interesting story, many different ways to bring it back and do it, but it was brought back in a very powerful way, written and directed and produced. In in a way that I don't think anybody expected. And so it blew us all away. And as a lover of great art, great work, how could one not appreciate whether you agree or disagree or whether you even like the show? I mean, I I find it hard for anybody to say, my God, this was a horrible show or a bad show. This was a brilliant show. But listen, there's brilliant shows that some people don't like. I wish more people had given this show a chance, you know, and watched it. A lot of people refused to even cross that line and look at it, you know, which is sad. But I uh, I was, from the moment that I began to hear Ron Moore speak and began to see some of the stuff he was doing, I was still in a gray area of not knowing if this is something that I would like at that moment. But I knew it was innovative. I knew it was really creative. I knew it had something and for me, it was only after the miniseries, not during the miniseries, but when it got into the episodes that I began to really fall in love with the show, the new show, and really love the characters and get into it. Because uh, the miniseries, everything was just so different, and I felt it was hard to relate to it, maybe because I was still locked into a continuation, and maybe there was a I had bias and prejudice there. I was not able to look at it objectively, but I could appreciate the artfulness of it. But it was after the episode started that I started to really go, wow, this is really, really good. And it started to capture that Battlestar feeling, that epic journey, that struggle for life and death, all the things that I love about Battlestar. In fact, what I was hoping Battlestar would do more of in the original, and I was frustrated with the way we were doing it back then, but we were limited because of studios and networks. But here was a network and a director, producer, writer, actors going in a direction, being supported in that direction in a way that I couldn't believe. And it was full circle for me. I was blown away by the opportunity to be part of that. And I think had they told me where my character was going to go and how it was going to go, that's an interesting question, if that's the question you're asking me
1: mm-hmm. yeah if
0: if I knew what they were going to do with the character, I mean, they didn't tell me all of this. I honestly looked at it differently, and when I read my backstory in the comic book, the four part backstory, I just felt that I just felt that there would be, like I said, more backstory and context, and that this character would ultimately we would see him find a way, especially when we mentioned Nelson Mandela, to, in a sense, overcome his master, his wounded dark side from all that he had suffered and to find his way back and to uh, find redemption on some level. Even if he died, like depending on how they had shaped the story, even if he died, that wasn't the problem. The problem was what led up to that death, and how was it orchestrated, and how was it written, and all that other stuff. And so if I knew what I know now, I would be somewhat conflicted, honestly, especially looking back there. I, I would be sitting there, wow, um, wow, how do I feel about that? And, you know, even Michelangelo is the, uh, Michael's a great guy. I mean, I have to tell you, he was very empathetic, very understanding, very sensitive to the struggles and challenges I had. And he and the director really helped me deal with those scenes because I was struggling finding a way to play them. I think because it was affecting me on such a deep level, you know. It was really making me uncomfortable, both as an actor and as the character, because I had other hopes for the character and how he would meet his end. But nevertheless, they helped me get through that. And I just think that because of the, um, boy... It, it's a very challenging question because I think I would have I would have still said yes, but I think it would have been maybe more challenging to say yes, knowing where and how they would use me and what would happen. Only because I don't know any actor that wouldn't feel this way. You would always hope for more. Certainly not. To, it's not about being the star of the show or having more lines, more stuff, but you'd know every character wants to have a through line, wants to have a context, wants to be more integral in the storyline in some way with a through storyline. But Zarek tended to be a character that would come in and out, and he would start something that seemed to be a storyline, and then it would go away. That part was very frustrating for me. I wanted to have more of a story. And every once in a while, I got a little bit of that. And and like I said, I'm I'm grateful to have had anything. But as an artist, as an actor, as a character, you know, it is frustrating. But just about every actor I know, always wants more for the character. I mean, we, we fight for our character hopefully not from an ego place, but from a character place of just wanting to have more to play, to bring that character to life, to more fully embody that character. But we learn and grow, and and I am looking back. An even better question might be, am I glad I did it, you know, Mm -hmm. now that it's all over? And and even with everything I know, what I've experienced, what I've gone through, I am glad I did it. It really challenged me as a person. It made me look at life from a more expanded place. It made me look at life from directions I never looked at it from before or didn't want to look at it from before. And also play a character that was as enigmatic as this character and and most people thinking that this character would go wrong at, at any point. Every actor wants to be loved, you know. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. And being willing to say, you know, that's not always going to happen. You do your best work. You bring your heart and soul to it, which is what I do. And unfortunately, not every character, even though in your heart you love that character, is not going to be loved by the fans or appreciated, you know. But I'm glad I played this character. I love this character. It's one of the best characters I've ever played. And uh, I feel privileged to have gotten this character. And also to be, like I said, on a story that I love as much as Battlestar. And to have worked with so many brilliant writers and uh, directors and actors, my God, what a, what a, I mean, I would have been silly to have said no to that, (laughs) you know?
1: Well, one character that was well-loved was the original Apollo character. Yeah. And today's BSG the Apollo character has had just a huge character arc going from pilot to politician. And he's had back and forth allegiances. Pretty much the only thing in common arc wise with the original was they both lost a wife. Yeah. But mostly your Apollo was too short lived for a big character arc. So were there other longer term character plans or was that one of the things you were arguing for with the studio?
0: Well, the original, I was frustrated. I have to admit, I mean, I love the original Battlestar. I love the chemistry of the characters. I love the backstory, but I was frustrated as the actor. I mean, I, I just felt there was so much rich topography, much dramatic soil to till. I just thought there was so much potential there, and I wasn't the only one. A lot of people felt that way, but again, the network and studios were afraid of being too provocative, too edgy, too this, too that. And My character kind of being that true blue stand-up character that everybody knows are going to watch your back and is going to come through at the end of the day, that's a character that's very easy to take for granted, you know? Back then, for me, I felt that after the first couple of shows, that character got lost. It was frustrating for me as an actor because uh, as an actor, I'm looking for not only a wonderful character, which Apollo was, a wonderful story, which Battlestar was, but you want those scripts and those dramatic scenes that will really push your character and really force you to deal with challenge that always brings out the best and the worst in you and creates great, great drama. And every actress searches for that. I fought. I had more meetings with writers and had more lunches and stuff. Just really, really, really fighting to have just to put that character in more dramatic situations and to, to push those buttons and to create a bigger acting challenge. So to bring that character to life in a more powerful way great shows are when you not just have one character but when all the characters are fully developed and they engage each other in very dramatic ways but the times back then are different than today and these actors were very fortunate to be where they were in this time frame when the studios and networks are not afraid to go into these richer deeper more edgy and provocative dramatic territories so uh It would have been fun to play the Captain Apollo of today, but I do have to say that I loved playing Tom Zarek. I mean, I just found this just a fascinating character, and I just would have loved to have played more of him.
1: Battlestar is ending, and it will live on in a way in the new Caprica series, but the classic concept that was started in the original series with the ragtag fleet, it's ending. You had a project once where you're hoping to have like a second generation. So it came back right. Came back once. Can it be done again in some other form?
0: Uh, I do think that Star Trek explored the Star Trek universe in many different ways with Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, all the various renditions of Star Trek. And I think the same thing could be said of Battlestar. This Battlestar is going to be a classic. Uh, it will be around forever. It was brilliantly conceived and put together. Uh, but... There's also other options and other ways of doing Battlestar. I would love to see a continuation version of Battlestar, a rebooted continuation 30 years into the future where you have a new generation cast. Only in this case you'd have a new generation with several of the actors from the original. So you have a bridge between the past and the present. It's like seeing Star Trek come back. You saw a little of that in one of the movies with Next Generation and the original Star Trek cast. Rebooting it that way, you could go back and explore it in a different way. And I think that could be very viable as well. I would love to see that. There's many ways. Every fan I've ever met has different ideas about how Battlestar should be done. And there's many viable ways to do it. But I have to take my hat off to Ron Moore because he did it brilliantly. I, as an artist, as an actor, as anybody, the kind of material, the kind of what we were looking for, going for, what this is about, it's everything that I live for as an artist. But I love the Battlestar universe, and I still feel to this day that we've barely touched or scratched the surface of the potential of the Battlestar universe. So I would hope that there will be other kinds of of Battlestar, whether it be uh, the prequel, which I'm looking forward to, Caprica. I think that should be brilliant to find out what happened before, what caused all this. I would love to see the Pegasus story. I would love to see that whole ship. we got a little bit of that, but that's a whole powerful Battlestar story that I think deserves to be told.
1: Can I pitch my idea? Of course. My pitch is from the Razor movie that we saw the Dadiana crew that was taken by that rogue base star. And we don't know what their story is. I'd like to know if somehow they escaped. Right. And and they're off in some other corner of the galaxy, and they're trying to find their way.
0: Well, there you see. I mean, you realize that there's a lot more Battlestar to be explored. I think if it's done right and it doesn't violate another story, I feel this Battlestar story is kind of... Then beginning, middle, end, it's kind of got a complete story arc. So if you went back and rebooted and did the original, I think it'd be interesting to see it from the original point of view and see it 30 years later, which I think would be a really interesting take on Battlestar utilizing a whole new cast plus uh, several of the original actors. I'd love to see the Pegasus story, which you just talked about would be great. There could be animated movies. I know people are talking about all these things. So I'm hoping that this isn't the end of the Battlestar universe and I hope it will be explored further. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll be done next year. Maybe it'll be done 10 years from now. But I think it's too great of a story to, to end at this point, And I'm sure a lot of fans would agree with me.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I thank you very much for talking with me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Uh, sorry for rambling on so long, but, uh, there's a lot of feelings in there about for some reason it's, um, this has affected me, uh, on a very deep emotional level. And it's because I think I've, I have a great deal of love and respect for this show and, uh, for all the artists and actors and people involved in, in both series. And uh, it's always very, very challenging for an actor to say goodbye to have, have an ending, but endings lead to new beginnings. So we'll see what the, uh, the Lords of Kobol have in store. for
1: us. <laughs> I just want to thank Richard for talking with me again. If you get to see Richard at a con, don't hesitate to talk with him. He'll be glad to talk about Battlestar or any other sci-fi. And he will be at the Dragon Con 09 this year. So another reason to go to DragonCon. So again, our next podcast will be the discussion of the episode No Exit. Look for that soon. In the meantime, send us email and voicemail about your theories about how the show is going to end, what it all means with Starbuck, the Final Five, what you think is going to happen with the Caprica series, whatever is on your mind. Our email is gcorum at gmail.com. Our website is galacticaquorum.com, And our voicemail, 301-358-5175. The jump clock is running. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.